0: This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Podcast guests and their clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello investors and welcome back once again to the Three Wise Monkeys podcast, our very first edition for 2019. My name's Andrew Page, founder of strawman.com and back in the saddle with me for 2019 is as always, Mr. Claude Walker from equity.com.au. Good to have you here Claude. And Matt Joss from mattjoss.com. Thank you, Andrew. Very happy to be here. Did you gents have a nice break? Very, very relaxing. Yeah, yeah. That's good. and any. Uh, I have <laughs> ah, we have prepared a statement saying. earlier. We it both was, found uh, it to be relaxing. Very relaxing. <laughs> relaxing is just a good proxy for lazy, isn't it? <laughs> at that time of year. So uh, I have to ask the question. I'll start with you first, Matt. Any New Year's resolutions?
1: Yeah, I do actually have a New Year's resolution. Mm. Are we doing investing resolutions? Yes, or? I think
0: we should keep it. Keep it uh, on topic. Yeah,
1: my New Year's investing resolution, which is kind of a broad one, as applies broadly, is just to not complain. I'm trying to try and not complain about anything. Complaining's a lot of fun though. <laughs> and take responsibility. So if something bad happens, particularly mm-hmm. in the share market, I will recognize the role that I could play or not play and, and not like complain about the situation. Now, what? does
2: that mean you're retracting your I will read 50 books challenge? <laughs> uh,
1: I'm still trying to read a lot of books as well. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah so <laughs> Matt committed to reading 50 books. Andrew and I committed to reading 12
0: books. I so committed you know. to having Matt give me a brief summary of 50 books <laughs> this year. Okay, Claude, yourself, what what New Year's resolutions?
2: Yeah, so my New Year's resolution investing-wise mm. is uh, not to sell ProMedicus this year okay, uh, nice. yeah, unless there's some deterioration in the actual business. Twice now I've sold it just because the position size got too large. Uh, i done a pr- bit of It's pretty much been an ex- a, a money-losing decision for me so far. I actually even sold some at around 12 and then bought some back at 10. Nice. So... That wasn't worth it because of tax reasons. And yeah, I'm really trying to just focus on the fundamentals rather than, I guess, portfolio management, mm. which is not what I would tell other people to do. Mm. But I think, you know, I really... That's my resolution for this year, just yeah. one year. Yeah, and then nice. in, in 2020, I can think about my portfolio uh, allocations <laughs> again.
0: It's funny you say that. you like, You... You've really got to keep an eye on those weightings But if you focus on it too much You end up doing a lot of unnecessary trading And often to your detriment I've, I've definitely made that mistake
2: Well, there, yeah, the best thing I've done Has been to have an overweight position to Pro medicus, But it's actually still cost me those times that I have tried Opportunity to... Opportunity cost. E- even my rule of it shouldn't be more than 40% has ended up costing me money. That's so. a generous rule. <laughs> yeah, <too. laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not a like really a, generous rule. I haven't rule. been harsh here.
0: No anyway. position more than 40%. <laughs> yeah. You're a hard taskmaster. But now I'm, I'm bumping
2: it up. So There we go. Well,
1: that's cool. And Andrew, what about yourself? Um, New Year's resolution.
0: Yeah, I thought this year I would try and make more of a focus on being a better seller. Um, I think I've, I'm have i one that gives um, management a lot of rope. Okay. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist. So mm-hmm. you sort of, I, I tend to sort of think, right, you know, if news comes out, that's not great. I'm very good at rationalizing that. So I'm, I'm trying to be, I always think you need to be slow to buy and, and certainly to some extent slower to sell. But I'm too slow sometimes. So okay. I want to try and speed that up a bit. Nice. And, and now that's more, that th- more, from a, not, more from a thesis uh, altered broken perspective more so than a, a price profit loss perspective
2: yeah okay that's what I was going to ask Is that, are you thinking more when it's off track and you're not selling quick enough or the same as me where you, if it's gone well but you sort of take profits just because I was I was more referring
0: yeah. to the bad side of things So yeah, I've had right. a few things and, th- and they haven't gone my way I'll talk about them in a bit because I want to do a bit of a review of the, of the uh, scorecard that I've got on straw man you'll see some of those stocks there probably would have done me it would have probably done me a favor right, if I was well, quick should we go to straight act. into that then Sure. Shall we do that?
2: Yeah, let's hear it.
0: Well, so so as part of the new year, I thought, you know, it's always a good idea to periodically sort of review your portfolio and your positions. Uh, And on Strawman, as you gents know, I've got a public um, scorecard there. In fact, of course, quick plug, anyone does who wants to log on and create an account, you can share your investment genius with the world. And so we actually started an early version of the beta back in November 2017. So the scorecard's been going for just over a year. Um, I'm kind of happy to admit that I'm well I'm beating the market but it's it's not setting the world on fire the scorecard's then about 1.6% versus a negative 2.4% loss for the market as all, yeah, there's 13 unique recommendations in there there's a couple that I've sort of double dipped on Um, And it's really been a story of a couple of, you know, often this is the case, a couple of big standouts, a couple of big losers and then some mediocrity in the middle. So that is thankfully adding up to, to outperforming the market. But I did take the time to sort of end in my personal portfolio, which, no surprise, aligns very closely with the straw man scorecard and just sort of to revisit some of these things as we were just talking about here. Is the thesis still in track? Do I can I still hand on heart recommend this kind of stuff? And I went through that process over the holidays.
1: Nice. Right. So any, yeah. Any what are the step? takeaways? Well, I'm reluctant
0: yeah. to talk about one because I know that Claude's going to pile on and yeah. go. Ah, so, ah, wait, wait. Let me just ask a general <laughs> a mistake, question. So,
2: what was what's the what's the biggest drag on your scorecard? It's catapult. <laughs> oh. What
1: yeah. was your New Year's resolution again, Andrew? <laughs> to sell quicker. Uh, <laughs> so it was actually on this. So, like, actually, full disclosure,
2: like we're laughing a lot for people yeah. who I. Or at least certainly I at least lost money on my most recent catapult investment. so
0: yeah, well, so we I thought it was worth mentioning that one in particular, one because it's definitely been the biggest drag on my portfolio, but two, we actually did a, a podcast, uh, at least a segment within a podcast episode of it a little while ago as shares at a dollar, and I was saying, I think things have been oversold a little bit. And what happened since then was the CFO resigned unexpectedly, no specific reasons given. That's rarely a good sign. But it's not the
2: f- first time there's been some sort of resignation.
0: It's the second CFO in two years. Ooh, that's a. And so, ooh. yeah, the market's <laughs> like, Remind the market's me to reaction, automate something that checks for that,
2: right? Yeah. Like, why not?
0: Like? So the market's reaction was reasonably brutal. Um, shares down 25% further from there. So sitting yeah. around 75 cents at this point in time. Yeah. So there was a bit of definite soul searching with that. Um, so um,
1: did you
2: did you miss the uh, Ethical Equities update where I gave a fairly frank assessment of the
0: of the company? You no, I read I, I read all Ethical <laughs> Equities oh, thanks, mate. with 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 great attention and yeah, look I, I I've it's one of these things that. W- when you, th- this kind of event is open to all kinds of speculation. So, what does it mean if a CFO resigns? Well, it could mean nothing. It could legitimately mean that could it there's mean a family that the crisis, there's a better opportunity, he's not, do any number of things that are perfectly yeah, reasonable. Yeah. Always Having said that, I'm fully aware that, you know, generally speaking, I haven't done the stats on it, but it feels to me as though more often than not when that happens, it points to something negative down the track. What is that? Well, that's where the speculation comes into it. Is it something that there's not, quite an appropriate level of accounting going on? Is it just that the CFO didn't see much, you know, someone who's as close to this company as you can be in terms of the financials, that they see something that they didn't like? But also or they've, put them?
2: Out, they've put out like guidance a few years in advance. They were, then they were always using um, underlying a bit there or whatever mm. it is to be this, their target. Yeah. And I think that that's in particular, you see higher turnover of high management staff in any companies that use made up, metrics as their goalposts you don't see the big turnover on companies that don't give guidance and just report their profit Mm. basically and a lot of my core holdings don't give guidance they never have it's not compulsory to give guidance but when you're when you're reading the financial media it's very easy to get stuck in this idea that everyone has to give guidance because the companies that are more promotional that are trying to raise capital that have got fundies in their ear, that have got brokers telling them this, that, and the other, they are more likely to give guidance. But it's just simply not true that all companies do it.
1: Yeah. So I think it's often related to capital raisings when companies are giving guidance um, because they raise a bunch of capital and they give some numbers around that and then they feel obliged to keep updating on that. Mm. So as Claude's saying, it can be a sign that the company needs to keep raising capital, which isn't always a good sign if they're able to reinvest for, internally. For
2: Catapult, I think that would be the fourth capital raising with each capital raising where now speculating about future capital, capital capital raisings, but that would be then the fourth. Yeah. Potentially, that's like at a lower level. I mean, level. you'd like you'd
0: like to think that there's not one with what they've done recently and supposedly on track S- to cash flow. Somebody has but to
2: pay those ever increasing salaries. Well, this is this is really. I
0: mean, even broadening Boy, out, Andrew, from, I feel like we talk about <laughs> every yeah, re- I know, much. <laughs> well, it's and like, it's like too. we're going to
2: like bully you into selling it until finally you <laughs> sell, and that yeah, will be the bottom. <laughs> sort of.
0: Yeah. So that that's one that I've I've done a bit of soul searching on. MSL Solutions was another one that hasn't done well for me. These guys make software for clubs, stadiums, that kind of stuff What do you think is
2: going on there? Because that does have some of the features that we tend to look for in companies. It's got a lot of features,
0: man. It's it's a profitable business. Revenue has been growing really strongly. A lot of acquisitive growth in there, but a lot of organic growth as well. They've basically um, pressed the pedal on the R&D spend. So it's that whole chestnut of that's a great idea if they get a great ROI on that. It's a terrible idea if they end up wasting a bunch of cash. Um, and they have also transitioning. We talked a bit about this theme, in fact, um, uh, to a SaaS model. So things are going more subscription-wise. About think half of their revenue is recurring at the moment. They're move, trying to transition more to that. It's a bit of an impact. So you've got a business that was sort of touted as high growth, which still looks as though it's getting a very good pace of client additions. But it's probably going to be a relatively flattish year before growth resumes, assuming a lot of these strategic things sort of work out. So look, that thing's at about 15 cents at the moment. And I think it's I think it's well undervalued. I think conservatively 20 cents. What are you valuing it it on? Um, I'm valuing it on a... uh, sales multiple you're gonna, you going to tested me now i can't remember exactly what it was uh, but just i just meant
2: like on revenue or yeah, is it on, actually profitable it
0: it like it that? is but there are some there's some granular stuff in that which i won't get into but you know it's it's a low multiple of sales and for a business that ostensibly is growing its sales pretty well so i'm i'm happy to sort of stick with that and then on the other side of the equation we've had some really good wins virus suites up a good 33% for us nice. Prometicus up 24% it's done really well uh, also, Nanasonics was a good performance over the period, uh, as well It was up 27%. So yeah, you mix it all together and we've got a fairly flat result. But the important thing was after that sort of review, I'm happy with those 13 stocks. I'd welcome anyone to sort of jump on the straw man, tell me what they like, what they don't like, maybe add their own recommendations if they think they've got some better ones. But yeah, that's that's pretty much a process I went through at the start of the year and it was pretty a pretty helpful one.
2: All right. So to be fair, your biggest winner?
0: Uh, the biggest winner would be, uh, actually, it was one that I opened and closed. I actually held this only between April and July of last year. It was EML Payments. It was 35% return over that period. Not bad. Yeah, I, th- it was, I thought it was things were too cheap. It got to a point where it was a bit of a premium on my estimated value and then also cognizant of the fact that I, I don't know it as well as I should, so I was happy to sort of take the bird in the hand there. Excellent. So what else? While we're, um, we were thinking over the holidays, I was thinking about the scorecard, the portfolio. Matthew, you were thinking a bit about macro. You were thinking big picture.
1: Yes, it certainly was. So I guess there was plenty of big macro stuff going on over it the was. break. There was huge swings in the market, um, particularly in the US, where stocks, you know, were up four percent. You know, one day down ten percent the next. Some of the big names. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess thinking around the the new year kind of time, a, a good time to like take a step back and think how things are going. Um, and there's a few um, kind of trends that I've noticed, and particularly in Australia. Mm. So uh, in the US, obviously, there's been a big freakout because quantitative tightening is starting to happen. I think Higher that's something that's really should, underrated. We should probably get and you and to withdrawal. explain what that is. So. Yeah, exactly. So for, uh, ever since the, the GFC, um, banks have been printing money effectively. Mm. They don't like to call it that, but effectively doing that on a regular basis um, to the tune of about, I think uh 600 billion a and year in the US. this is central banks. Yeah, this is central banks. Yeah, mm-hmm. so buying, buying basically bonds. creating money and then yep. buying bonds with it, which mm-hmm. is just pumping money into the economy, yep. plus extremely low interest rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, uh, just recently in December, they decided to raise interest rates um, uh, kind of when the market was already a bit jittery and the market freaked out. And at the same time, you have this that easing program that the billions of dollars that have been bought every month coming to an end withdrawing so it's all that liquidity happening. exactly mm. and so the markets markets freaked out and i thought it was interesting uh one guy in particular stanley Miller, who's probably the best investor ever. Um, So over 30 years, compounded at 32% per annum for 30 years. He's not well
0: enough known given that. Yeah, he isn't.
1: He isn't. He's a trader as well. He's not just a long-term investor. So it's an interesting, a different take. But his view of the market, he kind of said it was a mistake to raise. He came out publicly. He's like in retirement now, came out publicly saying don't raise right now, even though he'd been saying to raise for years. And the reason was that he he kind of studies the um, sectors of the market Mm -hmm. and he that's how he does his trading. And he talked about how autos, so... Uh, auto manufacturers were down home builders were down retail stocks were down banks were down like 20 to 30% right. in the lead up to this race and he uses that as a signal for how the general economy is doing yep. which makes sense um, makes so I just thought I'd look at similar things in Australia and um, we just had a number come out and I think we were chatting about it before that um, in December, new car sales in Australia fell 14.9% over fall. the prior year. Yeah, uh, It looks like it was actually probably the biggest percentage fall for any month since mm-hmm. like 2010. So it's yep. a pretty big t- change. The yep. um, you know, question is, if, does that continue? But at the same time, property was down, I think, 4.8% last mm. year for Australia. Um, I think it was more banks, than that, wasn't it? Uh, national like, okay. median oh, right. dwelling, I think it was. Yep. And Sydney was more like 9% or mm-hmm. something. But, um, yeah, all those things kind of lead you towards uh, being a bit cautious around the macro. And we'll get some Um, numbers
0: on retail, no doubt, in the next month or two when the retailers start reporting their Christmas periods.
2: I think that's really interesting and it'd be interesting to hear more about that as time goes by. I hope you can keep us updated. But just to play devil's advocate for a moment, uh, it's a very sort of popular trope is to say, oh, stock picking's easy. Just buy this company. Don't worry about the macro. Mm. That's economists are wrong nine times out of 10 and your clock's right yeah. twice a day so just ignore macro completely just look at the company where do you s- sort of stand on that or what do you think yeah good
1: to- question yeah so i'm definitely bottom up i think like like with you guys I, th- I i do look at the macro though and i think that it's more to understand i try and un- buy companies that can weather any storm but i need to know what kind of storms are out there i guess does mm-hmm. that makes sense so and it does affect my risk taking to a degree. So right like right now I'm transitioning to more cash flow positive companies um, rather than companies, like if it was a company that was very early in the journey mm. and burning huge amounts of cash, that means they're very dependent on capital markets. Mm. It's probably not the right time, in my opinion, in the cycle to yeah. be doing that. that that's yeah. an interesting um, thing
2: because that that's exactly what I did towards the end of last year when I sort of sold out of Nearmap and sold yeah. down a lot of Volpara. I think they're very interesting businesses with, I've held them both, made good money off them. But, yeah, it's just the wrong time of the cycle for that kind of business. Mm. If these macro indicators are correct
1: yeah and i think australia it's really weird that the australian market to me wasn't really worrying that much like it wasn't nearly as volatile as the u.s but Mm. to me australia's picture is actually weaker in a lot of ways like the housing markets falling that's been kind of been holding us for a while now autos sales are falling like where's the growth going to come from in the economy so So, sure so what
2: are the resources complex looking like because that's very important to us i'd say if you wanted to get a read on the australian economy i'd I'd add that into one of the things to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, I haven't dug deep on resources. Um, I was looking a bit at China, which had its own um, concerns. A lot of that was the Chinese consumer slowing, like Apple came out with that big warning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a good question, I think, over the coming weeks, if I keep digging into this. Or I we think you've do, got this long-term
2: structural threat that sort of China seems to oscillate between way too many apartments have been built and too many apartments have been built. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and they just
1: hit the credit lever the whole time, right? Just keep borrowing more or internally lending more and more. Yep. It's just gone crazy, right? Yep.
2: Yeah. So they've, there's definitely oversupply then. It's just like they can keep kicking the can down the road mm. f- until we're old men. How about yeah.
0: you, Claude? What's your view on macro? How, how does that inform your investing?
2: Um, I'm excited that Matt's putting more time in and he's going to uh, talk to us <laughs> about it more because yeah. I think that it's very important. Uh Look, I bought my first shares in March 2009 and I did that for like an extremely basic macro reason, which was that I got interested in shares in 2007. It seemed very hyped up. I was in a rush. I was a uni student. So, mm-hmm. I just watched and it was the decision just not to buy anything Mm. in that period was extremely valuable. Now, I'm Mm. not saying I knew there was going to be a massive, I'm not saying I forecasted it. Mm. I'm just saying is I took the macro signal signal, and I acted on it. And that was extremely beneficial for me because then in 2009, even though I guess I delayed the start of my investing, it was a very safe playpen where everything was sort of rebounding off Mm -hmm. the bottom, even though I made many more mistakes then than I make now. I was in a sort of safer environment to do that so look i'm never going to stop caring about macro
0: and where we are now do you see some parallels do you feel as though it's late late stage in the cycle is it giving you similar kind of trepidations or urges to restrain
2: yeah so i think as we've discussed in the past podcast i've increased my hedging i'm Mm -hmm. short a couple of uh, consumer stocks. That's so right. The media you mentioned. Yep. And then like there's another undisclosed one that I'm short mm-hmm. as well. Then I've got a long-term hedge against the banks. I think right now I have put options on Commonwealth Bank and NAB. Mm-hmm. But I just basically use the, the banks as something to hedge against. Now, look, mm-hmm. I, yep. it I often have lost money on those puts. So, like, it's not really something that I would advise mm-hmm. many people do.
0: Is it one of those things where you're sort of happy to lose little bits here and there, but if anything goes really pear-shaped, you've got that yeah, protection? Yeah, so with or? the puts,
2: I don't just lose little bits. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll buy puts. I don't know how many people understand how options work, but you're buying the right to sell the shares at a certain price, mm-hmm. and that will expire at a certain time. Now, the advantage of doing this is you can't lose more than the money that you put in. Mm-hmm. The, the disadvantage is that if those aren't in a good position at the time of that expiry, like you you can and will lose 100%, which I have. So I've spent, you know, thousands of dollars over the years buying some sort of insurance Mm -hmm. against overall Mm -hmm. market downturns. And then like sort of towards the end of last year, for example, some of the puts were paying off. So then I would sell them for double or triple what I bought them for. But that's, I think net, buying puts is still probably being a money loser for me.
1: But I think that's the right word you use there is insurance, right? Because you're not doing it as a monster position. It's literally no. a protection. And like yeah. when your house doesn't burn down, you don't regret that you bought insurance. Right, yet. yeah, so exactly. Like so yeah, I might
2: it. have burned for like the last couple of years. I've probably burned between two and 3% of my portfolio value mm. on... Um, Buying some sort of mm-hmm. insurance. But you've
0: had that sleep at night factor, so. yeah, and taken more risk. The way I, yeah,
1: because yeah.
2: yeah, I've taken that that has given me confidence to like you know buy a big position in Volpara and then mm. sell it or mm. hold my near map position for years and mm. basically have a lot of money in like what you would consider as high risk growth stocks or micro caps, mm. mm. which we'll talk about later. Yes, and um, yeah, that those have then generated excess returns that mean that my overall returns like above twenty percent per year and sometimes getting on 30 so like that that puts the 2 or 3% in perspective mm. nice
1: Andrew
0: like what's what y- your take oh, well I, I like what Claude was saying there about not trying to predict but trying to be aware it really reminded me a lot of um, Howard Marks uh, take on that where he tends to talk a lot about no one can predict what's going to happen with the economy, but we can have a very good idea of where we are now.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: You know, I really like that. And he he had a memo out. Oh, geez, I want to say a couple months ago or, or or less than that. And he was basically saying, look, it feels, it feels late stage in yeah. the cycle. That doesn't mean anything in terms of what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe things muddle along but for also, a couple of years, but
2: the most basic thing that you can do, if you take that view and you don't want to get into shorting or, um, or you don't even want to sell anything or you don't want to let it affect your stock picking is just make sure you're not leveraged into the market and that was the first thing I did almost a year ago now Mm-hmm. Was basically just eliminate all the as much leverage yeah. as I could.
0: I don't tend to hedge. I, I tend to be. I'm always operating on three to five year time frames. I'm basically expecting that one every three years is going to be a negative one. There's probably going to be, you know, again on average, probably going to be a big bear market every ten years or something like that. And so what I will do though is I tend to be, and this is what I have been doing. I tend to be much more restrained in my buying. So as I manage to generate some savings, I'm just I have not really been putting that to work. So I'm it, it's having the effect of sort of. Imp- increasing my cash balance, I suppose. Yeah. And that's... And, that's and just, a hedge in itself. That really. is, it really is a hedge in itself. So, Yeah, yeah nice. so there's the macro view. Uh, Claude, we were going to talk a bit about micro-cap investing. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. zooming yeah. right Let's in. Let's go to the micro view. So we've gone view. from the macro yeah. to the micro. Actually, before you start, define what you mean by micro-cap investing. Ooh,
2: good question. So I'm not a sucker for like super strict definitions here, but we'd probably be talking under $50 million market capitalization. Okay. yep. The feature of microcap that has made me think more about microcap investing recently is in fact that those stocks that are so very small tend to be far more sensitive to company-specific developments than other companies will be. There's not a lot of hot money going in and out at the best of times. It's usually traded more by people that are actually looking at the business. Now, the caveat here is I'm talking about companies that have probably profits you're looking for or at so least… Not a- Penny yeah. dreadful. Or at least they're cash. Internet. Well, they could still be considered that, but mm. cash flow break even at least. There's a business.
0: There's a. Yeah. I, I, yeah at least I, on the way or at viability. I
2: have learned the hard way that for these kind of businesses, you really just want to wait until they're cash flow break even at least mm-hmm. um, before really getting too involved because anything can happen before then. And, and so many of them die even after being. Cash flow break. So even. why
0: why invest? So it's it's riskier. It's more illiquid. So things go wrong. Why why the attraction? I, yeah, uh, so Dorothy the, so Dixon, the attraction I, is it just I like them too. it
2: just exact it just absolutely um, amplifies the um, stock specific thing. So you can research a company, find one that's at some sort of inflection point, mm-hmm. and then get uh, like pretty good gains. Mm-hmm. And potentially, if you if you find the right stock, actually, I would argue at reasonably acceptable. Risk, but acceptable is in the eye of the beholder. It, to me, investing in microcaps is acceptable because, although you may risk minus fifty percent, um, as your loss mm. when things go wrong, the gain is quite very conceivably two hundred percent. It's mm. really not too difficult for an eight million dollar company that might be earning two hundred k in profit, mm. ergo on its. Price to earnings ratio. It actually might look quite expensive Mm. then, but just because of the way the operating leverage works, if it's sort of just become profitable, it's it may not need to add much gross profit to get that profit up to two or three million. And then when it's up to two or three million, it's really not that much of a stretch for it to go to a thirty million dollar market cap, which would be a tripling of the tracks. A higher multiple gets more interest. Price.
0: Bit of a virtuous loop of added liquidity and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, just, more, exactly. You know, some of the fund managers get interested in it, and it kind of that's that's the ideal scenario.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially if you're in before small cap fund managers, and then it becomes a bit of a darling, it can really become quite overvalued. And actually, probably there's some times that that's happened that I should have sold but didn't. What's
0: uh, what's what's a key um, lookout for people entering this space for the first time?
2: So there are a couple. One is that I think you should only ever, it should only ever be like play money, except for professionals. That I think this is like this is a high risk section of your Mm -hmm. portfolio, and you might get stuck in it.
0: And then another thing is... You when you say get stuck in it, just because it's so illiquid, it might actually... If you buy a reasonable sized position, it could take a long time to find a, a decent price and decent volume yeah, to get it. Yeah, there's out that of. as
2: well. And also just simply like, even if everything's going well with the company, it could just be that the buy-sell spread. Say you wanted to buy and sell $5,000 mm-hmm. worth of shares in these companies. You know, I'm not joking that there are a number of companies that I own that you can't buy $5,000 worth of shares without pushing the share price up. 10 percent, right mm. so the the transaction cost forget brokerage mm, the yeah. transaction cost is like very real just on the market price yeah. so that's like one thing yep. it's not like with a more liquid company where you could perhaps buy and then do a little more research and then change your mind mm. um so that's one aspect of it mm. the, the other aspect is it's very easy for things to change quite quickly mm-hmm. so they can make it's very easy for a business to make things look pretty decent for a little while mm-hmm. and then everything falls apart. Mm-hmm. So I think the number one rule for micro caps is it's very advantageous if you can take the time to just sort of follow one along mm-hmm. for like a year or something at least before really thinking about buying, which is what I've done yeah. with a lot of the microcaps in my portfolio is actually some of them I've actually had them on the periphery for years mm. and
1: and that's to get a sense of what their volatility is like I guess to see what the trading but how would you react to it also just you get you read through their quarterly reports or their annual reports
2: 2 3 years mm. ago you hear what they're saying what they're going to do and then you come do back a it. little <laughs> do bit do later and see yeah. how close that that's been yeah and you know even in saying that aloud in saying this aloud I reckon there's one microcap in my portfolio that I'm going to sell.
0: Tell can you tell us about
2: it? <laughs> <laughs> I, four, it. <laughs> I don't I don't yeah. I don't want to because there's probably good reasons I own it yep. but in saying that aloud you know it's just not really got that long term yeah. um, history of performing according to plan yeah. which is what I like to see. Mm. I guess there's always exceptions to every rule but I prefer ones that have delivered. But the other thing is I wanted to tell a cautionary tale. Mm. Uh, One company that I followed for many years and initially bought and then sold profitably was called Energy Action. Now, this should be a profitable and good business. Mm. And I had sold it when I spotted that they'd taken their focus off, I guess, their recurring revenue business Mm -hmm. and onto more the consulting side. And they'd made some bad acquisitions at too high a price. So I sold it and watched it for many years. And then the new CEO came in who was not responsible for the bad decisions and he started to whip it into shape mm-hmm. and the earnings started to improve and they delayed the dividend for half a year, which then allowed them to pay down debt. So, the balance sheet started to improve. Okay. Then so, they it started paid, to b- turn b- like, around? Everything was looking good. Mm. We actually published a piece on on ethical equities that sort of said, yeah, like, it's looking pretty good. Go to good. the website and check mm-hmm. it out. Um, Well, yeah, you can, but it was wrong because what (laughs) we got sort of blindsided in that piece. They'd sort of said, oh, and we're exploring options for corporate transactions. Mm. And I sort of said, oh, it's never a great sign. I think it's a waste of money and a distraction to do that. Like they were on path turning around. Mm. Um, Anyway, the next thing we know is the share price was up at this stage. Mm. The next thing we know is that um, basically the NPAT was going to be 50% lower than the prior half. And mm. the c e o resigned with mm. very little notice, wow. which could not be more of a yeah. a bare signal, yeah, so, so what did you do? Well, so what had happened is like I'd originally i think recommended that, which was about sixty seven cents, mm-hmm. which I thought was a compelling price. Mm-hmm. Then it had gone up to like above a dollar, where I'd like luckily taken a bit of profits mm. because it was no longer such a compelling price, and I didn't feel great about the um great about this corporate action they were planning. And then got blindsided. This news happened. I knew it was going to absolutely tank. Mm. It's still sort of freaky because there are times then where you want to sell and there's no buyer except down until like some opportunistic mm. buy order down at 25 cents. Okay. So this is what I say I when. I used to put those orders in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're like Matt the sitting there at like four times. <laughs> have you have had the broker
1: call you when you try and put one on. I just and had a it say, like you can't do that. It would lead to well, so a so,
2: really. so this is actually the <laughs> thing my. um. Father-in-law, I called him and I said, "Hey, you gotta sell the energy action shares." So he tried yeah. to, and then like Comsec wouldn't let him.
0: Okay, so so okay. Tie this in a bow for us. What, what what was the takeaway with this particular dalliance, and and what did you learn from it?
2: Yeah, so I, what I learned from that is that f- with micro caps, uh, you know, you can just get com- completely blindsided, and it will really, really hurt. And that's just part. I've of I've had that happen
0: with it. with large caps as as well as small caps. But I totally take. It can your point. happen with yeah.
2: any stock, but. You know, to downgrade profit by 50%... huge. Mm. Or not downgrade, to say profit would be 50% lower when previously, like, the guidance was all, like, things are trotting Mm. along, have the CEO just resign like that. That is really just out of left field Mm. bad stuff. Yeah. And so it's something to be mindful of. Um, And so, again, I guess
1: it's a it's a beauty and the curse right so it's like a very inefficient market and so that means you can have these huge bargains and that kind of thing but Mm -hmm. it also means there's not a lot of other people looking at it so it can lead to these you know things getting overvalued as well for very
2: for very illiquid stocks i think the lesson that reminded me of which i luckily i had sort of applied is that um you know it is probably good to manage that position size pretty carefully yeah and but then on, on on the flip side i'd say you know there's some great opportunities in in microcaps like one of my uh, winners that has held up my portfolio in recent months whilst the market has been struggling is another microcap called Laserbond which is like simply an industrial company that mm. seems to have been doing well. There's a write-up on ethical
0: equities on it's that one. a bit one. of activity in nice. straw man with Laserbond too. Yeah. yeah,
2: I think we covered that at around 20 cents mm-hmm. and that's like over 30 cents now and yeah look I I, I bought it at like at lower prices and I still think it's... Is
0: it a buy today though? I wouldn't say it's a buy today no, okay. I don't think so. All right, gents. Listen, we better uh, tie it up there. Thank you again for the, uh, a very lovely chat. Let's let's not leave it so long next time. In fact, let's commit to do this exactly the same again next week. Matthew's Christmas. What do you give me a
1: break? Well, you know, <laughs> some some yep. people just
0: have a higher work ethic than others, my friend. Yeah.
1: No. Thanks for tuning in again. Look forward to another year of uh, great investing and, and chatting. So yeah. And uh, Claude, thank you too.
0: Yeah, thanks for listening um, as always we do appreciate your questions we have got a bunch over the holidays and we do intend to get through them in fact mailbag episode. we're planning on doing a mailbag episode very soon we're just going to like churn through a whole bunch of them but please send through some more questions feedback comments suggestions anything like that you can find us on Twitter um, you can also of course find us wherever good podcasts are sold and if you're there please make sure to give us a nice big rating it helps us reach more people and continue doing what we're doing which, which we hope you're enjoying
2: tell your friends tell your friends friends. You're investing nerd friends.
0: (laughs) Until next week, I'm Andrew Page. Thanks for listening. Thank you.
2: See ya.